Welcome to the One in Five of Us Changing the Mental Health Landscape podcast. We are working to stop the stigma and start the conversation about mental health. One in five people will experience a mental health condition, but it takes on average eight to 10 years for someone to seek treatment. Hi, I'm Nancy Miller, the founder and executive director of One in Five, and I'm thrilled to host this podcast to help educate our community around mental health and wellness and to empower you to start the conversation. And I'm Kayla Wood, the social media specialist at One in Five. Together, we can stop the stigma and start the conversation. You belong here. We belong together. So today we are sitting down and talking with Ariana McGrath. Um, Ariana, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to do this with you guys. Yeah, we're like so excited. So um, we're just going to like jump straight in. This first question is one that we like to ask all of our guests at the beginning of the podcast. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about your own mental health journey? Sure. Uh, I feel like it's it's kind of a long-winded one, but I can break it down. That is um, all right. <laughs> I feel like I feel like it's kind of everyone, or for the most part, most people's mental health journeys. Like you start out not knowing that you're on a mental health journey. Mm-hmm. Like most people don't realize for a long time, unless they're super lucky to have like early intervention. But I mean, I grew up just thinking that I was over emotional and like kind of you know just too much for most people to handle. And it wasn't until I was in my like early. 20s that I kind of realized like I think something more is going on here um when I was 21 I lost my best friend in a car accident and that really started setting off my OCD um I started having you know the obsessive thoughts the intrusive thoughts that I couldn't get on a road and drive like it was it kind of overtook me and I was like something more this is not just being a normal anxious person Mm -hmm. Um, and that's kind of when I started to be diagnosed officially with anxiety disorder um and OCD And then I started seeing a therapist. We were working together and they had mentioned several times, like, you know, medication, it might be good for you, et cetera. And I was kind of like, I was scared. Like it just wasn't something anyone really talked about. Nobody I knew really was being handled like that. So I was like, it was taboo. Even, you know, we think like 10 years ago, it feels like it was still a taboo subject. So I kind of put it on the back burner and I was like, no, I've got this. It's fine. You know, put on my big girl panties. I was like, no, I got this. So, and I did, I managed it really well for a while, just between myself and therapy. And then last year, like for so many other people, the world shut down and so did my brain. Mm-hmm. I was stuck at home with a toddler all day alone. I was barely seeing anyone. It was so isolating. And I got to a point where I looked at my husband. And I was like, I cannot do this by myself anymore. So I got back into therapy and with all of the factors going on in the world and my own emotions, I kind of was like, no, there's more to this. I think I might be one of those people that needs that little extra help. And that's when I started on medication and it was a huge game changer for me. It's still been an up and down roller coaster journey with that medication, but I'm still glad that I did it and that I've, I'm still on it. I'm still trying to find what works for me, but it's been a huge game changer. And for so long, I was so hidden about my mental health that I didn't want people to know about it. Just like so many other people out there. There's so many of us that are like, Oh no, nobody should know about this until you talk about it. And you're like, Oh wait, 15 more of you surrounding me also are dealing with this. Oh, like if only we talked about it sooner, it's just crazy that now that I've been open about it, like talking about it on my Instagram and I've, you know, written some articles and stuff. It's like, 
people are coming, I don't like to say like coming out of the woodwork, but it's all these people are reaching out like, oh, I didn't know you dealt with this too. I've dealt with this. And you're just like, wow, we have all these people that now that we talk about it, we can be partners in this. We can help each other. So it's, it's been a journey for sure. Journey's the best word. <laughs> That's like, oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, first of all. Um, and that piece where you said uh, last year, you said to your husband, like, I can't do this anymore. That is such powerful realization to come to. Um, and it's, it's amazing that you were able to see like, this is not something that I can do by myself anymore. That this is something where I need somebody else or something else to help me work through this. Um, and that's like, that's such a, such an important thing to like be able to do that. And that's awesome. And I was really grateful and I know how lucky I am that I was able to do that because I know there's so many people out there that aren't able to, and it's by no fault of their own, but like, I'm just lucky that I was able to be like, hold on, I need to get the help because I know there's a lot of people out there that are struggling so much that they can't. Um, and so I'm just really grateful that I was, had that, or I was able to do that, um, and have that moment of, I don't want to say clarity, but have that moment of like, wait a second, because I remember being like sitting in my bed and feeling like I'm going down a dark hole. And like, if I go any further, I don't know that I will be able to climb out. And that was a really scary moment. And I think that's the moment that I was like, I need to get some help before I fall down and nobody can get me out. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. I have like, right now. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's like you said, not everybody has access to that. Like Mm-hmm. Uh, not, I don't want to say like emotional availability, but, um, has the awareness I would say. Yeah. Uh-huh. And just even the knowledge to know that like, yeah, I knew that there was something wrong with me that was outside of me. And I, I know that there's people out there that are like, that don't realize that it's like, it's okay to not be okay. You know, they exactly. think there's something wrong with them and that they can't talk about it. And it's this thing where it's like, they just have to deal with it on their own. It just makes it so much worse for yourself. Cause I was like that for a really long time. I remember like growing up and people being like, you're just so emotional. You're just, and I believed them. I was like, oh yeah, I'm just so, I'm just over emotional. That's my fault. I should fix that until, and now looking back, I'm like, no, that was not on me. That was on other people that Mm -hmm. they couldn't handle the person or the help that I needed. Um, So that's, you know, it's, it's hard for people and there's not, I'm, I'm lucky that I was able to like have the resources too to like talk to a therapist and do that because not everybody has that. Yeah. Yeah. So that actually leads pretty nicely. I wanted to talk a little bit about your experience with um, therapy. Yeah. So um, we know like finding a therapist and everything can be really, really difficult. So can you talk about like what that process was like for you? Yeah, sure. So um, I, right at, about a year after my best friend's car accident um, was when I was kind of like, okay. I think I need to talk to somebody about this. Uh, we were getting ready to get married. And um, there was a lot of things kind of going on that I was like, I just need some sort of outlet. Um, but I had done a little bit of therapy when I was younger, when my parents got divorced, but mm-hmm. nothing that was like super, you know, and it wasn't super long-term and anything like that. So I kind of, inst- I, like, I kind of just Googled um, and I kind of looked around and, you know, I wanted something that I could, you know, work with my insurance and like all of that stuff. And I just got really lucky, but I called a couple different people. And that's, I think one of the things that a lot of people don't do, um, is go see different people before you like commit to someone. Um, so I had talked on the phone to maybe three or four different therapists. 
before making an actual like appointment. And I just needed, I'm a vibe person. So Mm -hmm. I can tend to on the phone if I click with somebody. So I was able to like those first two calls, I was like, okay, like they're nice. It's not that anybody's mean or like, it just, for me was a vibe thing. And, but when I talked to the third therapist, I was like, okay, this could be something good. So that's when we had our first appointment and we were lucky that we clicked right away and it worked well for us. But I've had other people kind of ask me the same question or say like, oh, well, I went and saw a therapist, but like, I just didn't really, we didn't really get along great. It didn't work. So like, I'm not going again. I'm like, there's like a million other therapists out there. Right. <laughs> you can't try on the first pair of shoes in a shoe store and like expect it to be perfect. So you got to try on a couple pairs of shoes. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's not going to work. Like you don't just marry the first person you date. You got to date a couple people. Right. <laughs> you know? right. So it's like, you kind of have to like date around for your therapist. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that you said that we compare <laughs> therapy to like dating all the time because it, it really is dating. though. Yeah. It's like, you have to find somebody that you can trust that you can talk yeah. to. And, you know, sometimes like the first try, it's not going to click and that's totally okay. You just get back in that dating pool or you get back right. in that therapy pool and just keep going. hundred percent. It's And I think people feel bad saying like, oh, I didn't like my therapist. Cause it's not always that somebody's not nice or like doesn't want, but you just connect a certain way or some yeah. people have a way of communicating better with you than others. And so I, I, when I've had people say to me like, oh, I just, I didn't get on like, you got to try again. Like there is like, and it doesn't have to be my person. It can be, you know, but you have to like, there's nothing wrong with trying a couple different options because ultimately it's your health. You would not just stop seeing, you know, your doctor for whatever reason, your health reasons. So you need to keep trying until you find what works. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I love, again, you just keep bringing up these awesome points. I love it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but like, I love that you brought in the whole idea of like going to see like a doctor for your physical health, because like mental health is health. So it's, it's so important that we, we like equate those two. Oh, 100%. Um, Yeah, yeah. I love that. So let's kind of like, start talking about a little bit of like stigma reduction. So yeah. Um, your Instagram called mom life in leggings, which we will link to in the show notes. So everybody can like, go look at that. Um, we, we've seen that you talk a lot about like the not so like stereotypically like Instagrammable moments of life, which I love. That's awesome. Um, you're making like Instagram casual. (laughs) Yes. Trying to. Yeah. Um, so like what, what kind of like motivated you to start, um, you know, posting such like honest content when that's not like what most of the space is. Right. It's kind of funny that I'd had this idea to start this blog, Instagram thing for like two years, like actually probably since like the time my son was born. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always been saying like, I'm a big personality. I like to share things. And so I just never had the time and I kept like backburnering it, you know, and just like, whatever, whatever. And then last year happened (laughs) and I was like stuck at home by myself. And I was like, well, I've got nothing else to do. And I was constantly scrolling, you know, scrolling through Instagram. And I was just so tired of seeing like these perfectly decorated houses and like looking at my house and being like, God, like there's toys everywhere. There's like that wall hasn't been painted all the way. I'm like, and I was just going like, I don't understand. Or, you know, seeing these people with their perfectly crafted outfits. And here I am day after day in my messy bun and my leggings and my sports bra. And I was like, gosh, is this really? And at first it kind of, I think it does sometimes to people, it kind of had this toxic energy. And I was like, 
Mm-hmm. I'm not doing enough. Look at all these other moms. And I was like, well, I cannot be the only mom right now sitting in her bun and leggings, looking at her messy house. I was like, there's no way. So I was like, that's it. I'm tired of the crap. <laughs> I was like, I, I'm just going to start doing it my way. And if people are like me, then they're going to relate to it and they're going to enjoy it. And I started with nothing like zero bars. I didn't tell anyone in my family. I told mm-hmm. none of my friends. It was one of those things where I was like, okay, if I can get X amount of followers on my own, then I will tell the rest of the world. If I can like have success with this little idea, mm-hmm. then I'll tell other people. Um, and I did. And, it, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is working. People, oh, other people wear leggings and their mom buns and aren't wearing their heels with their perfectly huge houses. You know, these, you know, you see these influencers that have like these huge mansions and, you know, and I'm like, I'm in my little townhouse day after day, like scrolling through, like, is this real life for people? And for some people it is, and that's great. But I was like, I'm just not relating to that. And I, there's a couple people that I've seen that were starting, like that we're doing the same thing. And I was like, but there's gotta be more of us. Like we can't all live this perfect IG life. It's just not right. real. It's not healthy for other people that are doing the same things that I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and so that's how it kind of started. And it somehow flowed into all of a sudden where I was talking about my anxiety and my OCD. And that was really scary at first to like kind of be talking publicly about it. Um, but the more that I did, the more response I got and the more feedback of like, oh my gosh, thank you for saying that because I like, you know, I feel this way too. Or I, oh my gosh, I had no idea, blah, blah, blah. And it was like eye-opening and I was like, whoa, so other people need this conversation. Like other people need to know that they're not the only one living like this day to day. Yeah, And that's kind of where it all started to come and transition. It really started as an outlet for me during, you know, the COVID time. It was my little like piece of something to let all of my creativity or my energy or whatever it was at that time out. I never went into it with the idea of like being an influencer or like (laughs) having this grand following. It was just kind of like something for me. And if it didn't work, I didn't care because I was just doing it for me. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. I I love that. Um, And you can really tell like when you look through your Instagram and like you see your content and everything that um, this is your life. Like you're not hiding behind like this filter or like this like perfect moment that you captured like at wherever you're like the farmer's market or something. Right. Like, um, and I love that. I love that. Like you are just being you and being you so that other people can see that they can be them too. And that's just so cool. I love that. I love hey, that so much. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So like, um, let's talk a little bit more about like the specifically, uh, stopping the stigma. Part. Yeah. So you started to talk about this a little bit about, um, how you are open and honest about living with anxiety and OCD. Um, uh, and, and we love that. So what is, um, kind of like a driving factor in, continuing to uh talk about like stopping the stigma and starting the conversation (laughs) I think it's just being able to normalize it like I don't stopping the stigma is such a great way for everybody to understand but for I think for people that living it like we we just want to normalize it like you know what I mean like we just want everybody else to be okay with us it's people get so uncomfortable sometimes when you say like oh I have a mental health disorder it's like nobody knows what to say they're like very touchy. And even I've noticed somebody, so I'm a dance teacher. So I work with children on a daily basis. 
And I've had, I have had people say to me, well, you really shouldn't say that because parents might not want to have you around their children. And I'm like, I didn't say I was a criminal. I said I had a Like I don't, I don't understand what you're trying to say. And it's that when I've had that said to me before, it was kind of like one of those moments of like, oh, you're the reason. People like you are the reason that there is a stigma. And that was kind of one of those driving factors of opening the conversation and having other people not be uncomfortable with talking about it. It's something that's normal. It's something that affects one in five people. It's, you know, it's, it's something that was such a taboo subject, I think for so long and people were raised for it to be a taboo subject. So a lot of it has to do with kind of raising the next generation. I think, you know, even looking back 10 years ago or when I was in high school, you didn't talk about it. Like it's not really something you learned about in high school. There was no mental health awareness. And if it was there, nobody, like nobody talked about it. It wasn't something that was this thing. So I think raising the next generation up to kind of always have it be a normal thing. It'll just be a normal thing. But I think for people that are like my age and older, it's, it's kind of how we were raised where it's like you brush it under the rug and that's not something to be talked about. And it's uncomfortable for people because they don't know how to respond. I think people are afraid that there's such a stereotype that mental health equals crazy person. Yeah. And that's not, that's not what it is. Like we're not, we're not crazy. We just, it's no different. Our mental health condition is no different than somebody's heart condition. We have no control over it. Like I didn't choose to be this way. Like I, I said it to my husband many times, like I wish that I could be quote unquote normal. I wish that I didn't have these worries. I like, I would love that. That would be great. That would make my life a lot easier, but that's not how it is for me. Um, And I think a lot of people don't understand that. And they just equate mental health to somebody in a mental institution or, and that's, that is a version of that, but there's also so many other layers to it. There's so many severities and different types of things. And even just people categorize things because of movies, books, whatever, like you say OCD to someone and they're like, Oh, so is your house perfect? And they're like, no, far from it. Right. (laughs) Because people don't know they're not educated. OCD is not just super organized and clean. You can have that. That can be somebody's OCD, but not everybody. Or like, oh, do you have to flick a light switch 10 times before you walk out of a room? Well, no, for some people that's their OCD. That's not my version of OCD. And I even didn't know before I was diagnosed with that. When, when the doctor was like, you, you know, you have a version of OCD. I was like, huh? I was like, I'm not organized. I'm not clean. I'm not doing compulsions. I was like, I don't, I think you're wrong. (laughs) No, no, I'm the doctor. I'm correct. (laughs) But I, I wasn't educated in that. And I think that's for a lot of people until they're diagnosed with it, they don't have that education. So I think part of stopping the segment, you know, having this conversation is like educating people on what mental health can look like, because it can look like so many different things. And we haven't all been exposed to those or we haven't learned about those different things. So it's hard for people to understand. And I think when someone doesn't understand something, it turns into uncomfortability. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot of where this kind of stigma comes in as far as not wanting to talk about it or not being open to talk about or being scared to talk about it for a lot of people. Um, And even for people on my end of it, where like we're scared because we don't want someone else's bad reaction. So like we don't talk about it because we don't want their reaction and they don't want to talk about it 
because it makes them uncomfortable. Yeah. So it's a hard, it's a vicious circle that we kind of have to break somehow. Yeah. And I think like, I think you're very right about how the youth is going to change that. Um, that's, that's something that at one in five, we focus a lot on, um, is, uh, we say like the youth are going to change the conversation. They're going to change the way the world views everything. Um, and it's, it's something that's just like so exciting to see beginning to happen. Like, um, like what you were saying with like mental health education in schools, how that wasn't really a thing. Like when I I was only in high school, it was like, gosh, seven or eight years ago, (laughs) too long ago. But, um, (laughs) like when I like started high school, there was no really like mental health education or anything. And then by the time even I was graduating, it was kind of a conversation, but not really. Yeah. Um, But then watching my little brothers go through high school, it's like, oh, like one in five is in the school, like providing like education. And um, I know like Cincinnati isn't the only place doing that. Like it's happening across the country, which is so amazing. Um, And like they, this new generation coming up, Gen Z, uh, yeah. they are going to so lucky. <laughs> yeah, seriously, like I'm like right on the cusp, and I'm like I'm too far, millennial. Yeah, to I'm, I'm far yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, it's it is cool. Yeah. Even just the tools now that like little kids have. Like my yeah. son, when he kind of gets right, we practice like belly breath. I'm like, okay, let's let's take a belly breath. And I'm, and someone the other day was like, whoa that's I'm like yeah I'm like you do it for adults you tell them somebody to like you gotta teach you gotta teach the kids and even just looking at what I know um you know the elementary schools my mom works in the education system um here and some of the things that she tells me I'm like whoa I'm like yes that is yes we should be doing that they should have you know their calm down corners or like the ability to like take a minute and understand and even just now that kids are being diagnosed with anxiety Mm -hmm. disorder so much younger it's so, it's just going to be so helpful them for them long-term, I think, you know, and people are like, oh, well, you can't really know that young. I'm like, no, you can, like we can know. And the more that they know, then it's going to help them so much growing up. And it's, it's so nice to see that as somebody that struggled for all of that time to know that those kids will not struggle. Um, I mean, they'll still struggle, but they'll have the tools and like the resources that I didn't have and not for any it just was not something that was really talked about or looked at. I mean, even my mom had, you know, her own mental health issues as she was older and stuff, but it's not something ever that was really thought about as that young being a thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times people equate sometimes depression or anxiety as something situational where like, okay, you get divorced and that can cause depression or you have a traumatic accident and that can cause your anxiety, but it's not always a situational thing so I think people just assume growing up oh well nothing's really happened to them they shouldn't be depressed or you know Mm -hmm. they haven't had any of this so they shouldn't have anxiety um and that's not always how it works unfortunately you know we're learning now that there's genetics involved you know there's all these pre you know predisposed things that can have an effect on somebody having these disorders or mental health issues um, and yeah, there's situational things, of course, but there's always going to be kind of a thing that can cause it or not. And it can just be there. 
and yeah. I think yeah. earlier kids know and know that they're not crazy. You know what I mean? I think for me, that was the hardest part was, oh, she's just over emotional. Oh, you're just too sensitive. And I was like, oh, maybe I am. Oh, I should work on that. Like, I'm too sensitive. I don't, you know what I mean? It was like, oh, I wish I, you know, yeah, I'm sensitive, but that's not always my fault. <laughs> right. Right. And that's so frustrating to like, know that there are ways that we, we could have been treating people so much younger and like, I, my mom and I have had this conversation, like, you know, my grandmother passed, um, so many years ago, Mm -hmm. but looking back at just certain things that she used to do and the kind of person she was, I said to my mom, I was like, mom, grandma had anxiety, like for sure. And I'm like, it's sad for her that she'll have never known help for that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's, it's just nice to know that the future will, um, but it is sad to know that all of those people, like it, in that generation, it definitely wasn't talked about. And it, you know, mm-hmm. if you, if it was even mentioned, you were immediately like sent to a mental institution and that's, yeah. that's what it is. That was the only solution. And you know, you were a crazy person. Um, so it's nice to know that we have come a long way, <laughs> even in just a short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so true. Like Nancy, our executive director lost her husband. He died by suicide years back, but that's the whole reason that she started one in fives because, you know, like people in her generation and, and even our generation, like just haven't been allowed to talk about it. Um, and, and that's what she started the whole organization for, um, was to educate youth and, uh, and start it young and be able to like, tell kids like, Hey, you're not alone. Like, <laughs> yes. And there's no shame in it. I think shame exactly. is, there's a big, that's like a huge word around mental health is like shame. And I mm-hmm. get that because I was ashamed to tell people that mm-hmm. I had anxiety because I thought it made me look a certain way or people wouldn't trust me around their kids because of it, or, you know, wouldn't want to be around me and be a friend because they couldn't trust me or how I was doing that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not something that even when I was first diagnosed that I talked about because of that shame. And I think so many people feel that way um, because of how it's been for so many years. So I think what the organization is doing is so important. And I know there's, it's, it's kind of growing everywhere around the country, which is so, so amazing. And now mental health awareness month is a huge thing. And that's, yeah. I think so incredible that so many people are finally talking about it and we're growing and we're learning. And that means that the kids coming up will never know that shame. And I think that's what's so important is like, they will never question that for themselves. Absolutely. And um, so earlier you were talking a little bit about stuff that um, you do with your own kid. Do you yeah. just one, right? Yep. Just one. Yep. Okay. So with your kiddo, um, you work on like the belly breaths and everything, mm-hmm. um, which I think is so awesome. Like, uh, because a lot of it is like, parenting, like knowing, or just having that education and that knowledge that this is something that we can start working on when you're like really little. Um, so what are some like other things that you work on with your own kiddo to like, so belly breasts have been huge for us. He's at that, he's two, he'll be three soon. So he's right at that stage of like big feelings. He is starting to feel big feelings and doesn't always know how to express that. And he's very verbal, but 
you know, for kids at age verbal doesn't always mean understanding how to get his feelings across. So they come across as tantrums and I'm sure every mom out there knows what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So it's for us, it's, we've been trying really hard to be like, okay, let's take a second. Let's take a belly breath. So he knows he puts his hands on his belly. He goes in through his nose and out through his mouth. We make him do like two or three of those. And then we kind of try to say, okay, can you tell us why you're upset? Or it seems like you're feeling frustrated because how can we help you? And sometimes it's like stupid stuff. It's like, I'm upset because I wanted to put my shoes on. Okay, let's fix that. Like, and and sometimes it's things that make zero sense, you know, (laughs) but, and it doesn't always work. And sometimes the tantrum still happens and it's hard. I think, you know, as someone too, as a parent with anxiety, sometimes his reactions can trigger my own. Mm -hmm. So like, if I'm not being able to help him, I start panicking. What's wrong? Okay. What am I going to do? And then my frustrations come out. So I then have to take my own belly breaths and kind of say, okay, is is this my anxiety talking or am I just frustrated with the situation? Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, it's hard, but it's just little things like that. You know, we do the belly breaths and we still do time out here and there because he needs it sometimes. And, you know, it's sometimes that works for us and sometimes it doesn't. And Mm -hmm we don't, we're not perfect by any means. And sometimes there's days where I'm like, I really could have handled that differently. Like, Oh, I'm so frustrated with myself for raising my voice or getting upset about this. Mm -hmm. Um, but for him, I just try to remember, like, we're just teaching him everyday things that he can use. So like the belly breasts are big for us. Another one is just saying like, you need to like, let's use listening ears because he's two and he doesn't. Ray does not like to listen. So just like, Hey, let's turn our listening ears. Are you really listening? A big thing for me is making him look at me and like, show me your eyes, show me your eyes. Because sometimes we expect people to be listening to us if we're talking. And this is even for adults. Like they're not always listening. So then we get frustrated because they didn't either do what we said or listen to what we said. But especially with a toddler, I'm like, okay, show me your eyes knowing that he is connecting with me and listening and at least is taking in what I'm saying, because then I can't be quite so frustrated. Um, and that helps too. Yeah. And I love that you like talked about how, like, even, even though you like have these tools and resources, like you're still not perfect because oh, like gosh, nobody's no. perfect. Oh my gosh. No, there's, uh, I mean, and I think this is for any parent you, when you go to bed at night, you lay there and you look back at the day and there's a hundred things you wish you had done differently or handled differently. And you just kind of have to take that breath and be like, I did my best. Yeah. Like, yeah. I did my best today. And nobody's going to be perfect. Nobody's going to have good days. And you just try to be better every day. And I think part of my thing is always kind of being open and honest about my feelings and what I'm feeling with my son so that it's never something that is taboo to him. You know, mommy gets anxious. That really worries mommy. Mommy's having a hard time right now. Um, You know, mommy needs to take a second and breathe. And I think always being honest with him will make it easier for him to always be honest with his own feelings, never feeling like he can't cry or he's not supposed to feel this way um, or push those feelings down. I think the more that we're open and honest with our kids and they see that, you know, mommy's not perfect. Mommy cries sometimes. Mommy gets frustrated, you know, that it makes it easier for them growing up to know that it's okay to have those feelings. I want him to know that it's okay to be frustrated and cry. He's okay. He's allowed to have these feelings. We just have to figure out how to work through them together. Yeah. Yeah. That's like such an important thing, like giving yourself grace, giving the people around you grace. And like, 
I think that's, that's awesome that you're starting that at such a young age. Um, because, uh, we work with a lot of like parent coaches and like, um, marriage and family therapists and stuff like that. And, um, speak with folks in that field. Um, and like something that we hear like over and over and over again, is just like, be honest with your kids. Um, like show them that you're a person because yeah, yeah, like they're people too. So let's, yeah, let's, let's all just be people together. It's so, so hard hard to be a mom in general. Like being a mom is just so hard. And to be a mom that has a mental health disorder on top of that, I think we have just a a different pressure or an added pressure because we have our own things that we're dealing with on top of theirs as well. And everybody's got their own things to deal with. So I think sometimes there's such a pressure with moms to be perfect. And I think social media does not help that (laughs) because you look at all these moms that like, look like they have their lives together and they're doing all this. And, you know, we don't always see the fact that they've got a cleaning person or they've got a mother's helper three times a week helping them or, you know, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but it's just that we don't always see them. So all we see is the perfect, right? As moms, we want to be the best mom that we can be for our kids. And we want to raise the best kids we can. So you have this idea of failure in your head. Like, I just failed. Or, oh, he's throwing a tantrum. That's my failure. When it's not, he has emotions. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I still have days where I'm like, oh my God, I literally failed today. I was the worst mom ever. I yelled, I raised my voice. And then he watched TV and then he had some ice cream for dinner. And it's like, oh, wow, <laughs> he's a kid. Right. I'm not always great at reminding myself of that in the moment, but I try to do a little self-reflection and kind of realize like, you know what? It's okay. I'll try again tomorrow. He's I didn't ruin him. He's still here. Right. <laughs> now he's still going. So yeah. it's it's hard because there is a lot of things that moms deal with, you know, the pressure to not have any screen time or to make sure they eat every vegetable and never have any sugar and never do this and that. And so it's like just a lot for any mom, let alone a mom that already has these added anxieties and worries and, you know, intrusive thoughts and mm-hmm. dealing with that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, um, from what I've heard and from what I've seen on your Instagram, which we all know is not like fully representative of life. Um, like we've been talking about this whole time. (laughs) Um, it seems like you are doing a fantastic job and we love that you are like really working to stop the stigma and like that conversation. Yeah. Um, and you inspire me. I'm not a mom. potentially someday in the future, but, um, you inspire me and you make me feel like I would be able to do it. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. And, uh, and is there anything that you wanted to talk about that I haven't like asked you or, um, that we haven't covered? I think just one of the biggest things for me is not being ashamed to reach out to other people or to, you know, have conversations with people and other moms and things like that. I think I keep relating it to a lot of moms because, there is a huge thing with postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety. And mm-hmm. people don't realize that there's a lot of people out there that are dealing with it and they're afraid to open up to anyone or ask for help because as moms, we assume that we are supposed to be able to do this by ourselves and have the house clean and have a freshly from scratch meal made and teach our kids how to write in cursive by the time they're two and like all these other things. And it's so hard to be like, oh, no, it's okay that I'm not doing all of these things. I'm not following this person's path or this person's path or my child's 
you know, path. Um, and the more that we can kind of open up and realize that other people are dealing with it too, I think it makes it easier. And the more that people talk about it openly, and even if you're not somebody that's comfortable to talk about it openly, you at least have somebody that you can talk to privately or can confide in or, you know, not being ashamed to, you know, there's this whole big like self-care kind of thing going on, which is, I think so many people are like, oh, self-care, get your nails done. And (laughs) that's great for some people. That's their self-care, like more power to you. But we have some people's self-care looks different. Like my self-care is 20 minutes to like work out maybe, or my self-care is an hour to like talk to my therapist or take a minute to like make sure I'm taking my medicine in the morning to make sure that I can be the best version of myself for my husband, for my child, for my family, my friends, my job. Um, yeah, I think it's just kind of trying to be open. And I'm like, learn. this is the first time I've really been this open in the last, you know, a couple of months with this. And it's still a learning curve for me. And I still worry about people's judgments. And I might think that people are looking at me differently because of it. Or, you know, I still worry like, oh, are people going to want me to teach their child? Like, are they going to be worried about me being around them? But hopefully the more that we are open and growing with this, um, it'll change not only for us, but for the next generation as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Ariana, you have been so amazing to talk to. Um, you. Your life experience is just is so powerful. Um, and, and we want to thank you so much for being open and honest. Um, like we've been saying this whole time, yeah. like that is what's going to change yes. the future. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for being here with us. Um, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been awesome. Thank you so much.
Belong.